Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 27. And this time we will deal only with question and answer 74, the last time we dealt with the other question and answers. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Should infants, too, be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit, who works faith, are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, as sign of the covenant, they must be grafted into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, should infants too be baptized? That is the question posed in Lord's Day 27. In the original version of the Heidelberg Catechism, the question is whether or not they must be baptized. In other words, the question is whether or not it is a command that they be baptized. And the unequivocal answer of the Heidelberg Catechism is yes, Infants, as well as adults, belong to God's covenant and congregation. And so, the catechism does not leave us a choice. It doesn't say to the parents in front of us here, for example, that they have a choice as to whether to have their son, Caden, Terence, Fenoris, and uh, baptized or not. It's a command. However, those who reject infant baptism are just as convinced about their position. They're convinced that we are wrong and that only adults should be baptized. According to them, baptism is done on the basis of faith. And only an adult can have faith. Infants do not yet have faith. They do not yet understand things. They also state that baptism should not be equated with circumcision, that they are unrelated. The positions of the two camps are firmly held. Here in this church we baptize infants, just as we did a few moments ago. And in the local Baptist church or Pentecostal church or Alliance church, only adults will be baptized. How do we bridge that gap? The only way we can do that is to let Scripture speak. In so doing, it's also important that we hear the other side of the story. Why do they put emphasis, emphasis on faith? The theme for this afternoon's service is as follows. The Lord confirms his promises in baptism. And then we will see two things. The promises also apply to our children. And secondly, these promises require a faithful response, or a response in faith, if you will. I'll state it once again. The theme is the Lord confirms his promises in baptism. 
In the first place, these promises also apply to our children. In the second place, these promises require a response in faith. Does it say anywhere in the Bible that children should be baptized? No, not specifically. There is no text that says specifically that children must be baptized. The Reformed position is that it doesn't need to. For it is clear from Scripture itself that children should be baptized. The Scriptures clearly teach that children belong to God's congregation. That is quite evident from Genesis 17. It says there that the Lord God will establish his covenant between Abraham and his descendants after him for the generations to come. Those descendants do not refer to Abraham's children after they have become adults. No, God makes those promises to the children of Abraham before they have grown up, even when they are still a baby. That is clear from the fact that the Lord God commanded that every male among them be circumcised on the eighth day, the eighth day after their birth, as a sign of the covenant between the Lord and God and them. When does the Lord God say that to Abraham? He says that at a time when Abraham did not even have children yet. Isaac had not yet been born. He tells Abraham that as soon as he receives a child from the Lord, that then he may know that that child belongs to him, that it is God's covenant child. That is why he needs to be circumcised. Circumcision refers to the fact that sins need to be done away with. The removal of the foreskin alludes to the removal of sins, and so to the forgiveness of sins. Abraham has to know and be assured of the fact that any child of his is a child of God, and that his sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. And he has to realize that his relationship with the Lord his God is not something that he initiates, but that it is God who establishes his covenant with him and his seed. He makes us his children. He assures Abraham that he is creating an indestructible bond between him and his descendants after him. For he makes his covenant with the believers and their children, their seed. But then those who reject infant baptism say, well, that was then. That was the Old Testament. The Old Testament is different from the New. What applies to Abraham does not apply to us any longer. That was only for the Jews. How do we respond to that? For is that really true? Is there a difference in that regard between the Old Testament and the New? And the answer is no. What applied to the Old also applies to the New. God still establishes his covenant between the believers and his seed. Let me explain. Look at what it says in Genesis 17 itself. For what does the Lord call his covenant? In verse 7, he calls it an everlasting covenant. 
In other words, there is no end to it. It doesn't cease to exist at a certain time in history of the redemption of God's people. The Lord God does not treat his covenant people in one way at one time and then in another way at another time. We do not have a fickle God. For who is the seed of Abraham? Well, listen to what it says in Galatians 3, verse 7. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham, it says there. The believers are children of Abraham. That is the New Testament perspective. With those New Testament believers, the children are included just like at the time of Abraham. There is no difference. In Genesis 17, verse 6, the Lord said to Abraham that he will make nations of him and that kings will come out of him. And those promises apply to each nation all over the world. The Lord God calls his people together from all nations and all tongues. And that is why Abram is also called Abraham, that is, father of many nations. From the very start, the Lord God wanted to include all the nations of the world. As long as they are true children of Abraham, all those nations will be blessed. And who are the true children of Abraham? The believers and their seed, their children, their infants belong to that as well. They all have the promise of the forgiveness of sins. What applied in the Old Testament applies now as well. In the New Testament, the shedding of blood is no longer necessary. And so in that sense, there is a change. That is because Christ has since shed his blood on Golgotha. And that is why the blood of circumcision no longer has to flow either. It is now the symbolism of water that indicates the forgiveness of sins. In essence, the children of the Old Testament are not any different from the children of the New Testament. It was always God's intention to include the children as part of God's covenant people. That's why you also read in Deuteronomy 31 that Moses received God's command to call together all of his people. That included the women and the children. Every one of them had to listen to God's promises and demands. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 31, the verses 12 through 13. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the aliens living in your towns, so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. God's covenant promises and his demands are for the children as well as for the adults, for the men and the women. And so they too have to be gathered together. In Acts 2, we read Peter's Pentecostal sermon. He delivered that sermon in Jerusalem just after he and many other followers received the Holy Spirit. There was a very large crowd of Jews there. There were men, women, and children. 
And in that sermon, Peter speaks about God's covenant promises. Now, do you think that all those Jewish people standing there, that now, because of the coming of Christ, automatically, that their children would now no longer be part of the covenant? That those children would no longer share in the forgiveness of sins? That it would no longer be a sign and a seal of the covenant? If that were the case, do you not think that Peter would have made that a very specific point in his sermon? That he would have said to them that from now on the children would have to wait until they believe. That from now on they are no longer included with their parents. Do you not think that something like that would have, would have required an explanation? Yet Peter didn't say anything like that. He didn't need to. Instead, he said something else. He said in verse 39, The promise is to you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. What do those words remind of? They remind of the same words that God spoke to Abraham 2,000 years earlier. If there was a change in the way that God included children as part of the covenant, then that would have been made very and abundantly clear in the New Testament. And so the argument may be that it does not specifically state that children need to be baptized. It doesn't need to. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible either that women must come to the Lord's Supper table. And yet we do include them. Why? Because it is understood that women as well as men belong to God's covenant. It doesn't need to be stated either. In the New Testament, we also read time and again that someone is baptized together with his household. We could read about that, for example, when we read from Acts 11. From that text and its context, if you read chapter 10 before that, we know that the event described took place in Caesarea at the home of a centurion by the name of Cornelius. We read that God's Holy Spirit gave faith to those Gentiles. And that is why Peter had the centurion and his household baptized. There are several other examples of certain people baptized together with their household. We can think of the jailer in Philippi and of Lydia, the dealer in purple. Also, they and their households were baptized, as it says in Acts 16, verse 15, and verse 33. When the book of Acts speaks here of household, and then it has in mind the same thing as you find in the Old Testament. A household would include the father and mother and children of every age. It would also include the grandparents. Children belong to the covenant. And that is why they also share in the promises of the covenant. They belong to the household. The whole household, therefore, is also baptized. And it's also clear from Genesis 17. In verse 8, the Lord promises to Abraham and his descendants after him the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. Did you know that those promises still apply today? Also to you and to me and to our children. For that promise of a new land 
did not see its final fulfillment yet. For we read in Hebrews 11 verse 9 that Abraham lived in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. For it says in the following verse that he was looking to the city with foundations, whose builder and architect is God. That city is none other than a new Jerusalem. It is that city that has been purified, and only where those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ will live. And that city refers to the new purified world. That world, that city that we are looking forward to together. And for that reason it says in Romans 14 verse 13, in Romans 4 verse 13, that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. Do you know what that means? That means that even today, God is working out His promises in the lives of the believers. The Lord God said that He wants to dwell with His people forever and ever. And indeed, that is what the covenant is all about. He ties Himself to us. He wants us to belong to Him forever and ever. And he is busily preparing that new Jerusalem wherein all the believers will drink of the eternal fountain that is of Christ. Wherein there will be no sun or moon or stars, but where God himself will be their light. Those are the promises that he makes to his people, to the generations, to to the believers and their seed. And our children are not excluded from those wonderful promises. Boys and girls, are you also listening to this? I know it's sometimes hard to put it all together. But let me ask you, do you realize how privileged you are to belong to God's people? God says to you that you may be a child of His. And that is why He had you baptized too in front of this building or in front of a church building when you were a little baby. He said to you then already that you may belong to God's people. And He says to you that He will make you part of that new Jerusalem. Whatever you may experience here on earth is nothing compared to what God has already given you, given you, and to what He promises you. And for that reason, He urges us not to become attached to worldly things, to things that will not last. He tells us that our ambition in life should not be in the first place to get a diploma, or a degree, or a good job. We should not be driven in order to pay off our mortgages in the first place. No, the Lord God, as we also saw this morning, promises much greater things than these. Baptism is a sign and a seal of the kind of promises that God makes and of the wonderful way that He works out those promises in your life. And that is why, because you have been baptized... Because you have been given the promises of God, you can also be sure that God means what He says. And parents who have had children die in infancy can also be sure that those children belong to God's covenant and that therefore also those wonderful promises are given to them. 
And that is the great anchor in your life. And do you know what is so wonderful about all this? That it is God's doing. That He makes you part of the covenant. That it doesn't depend on you. When God spoke to Abraham, He did that on His own initiative. We don't read anywhere that Abraham approached God. No, the Lord God approached him. And the same thing is true today. The Lord God does not deal with us in any other way than he has always done. God also initiates his covenant with this little child here in front of the church, just like he did with Isaac even before he was already born. The Lord God also today here in this church takes the initiative with regard to the covenant promises. However, that does not mean that we should not respond in faith. We come to the second point. Those who reject infant baptism put the emphasis on faith. They say that we must believe before we are baptized. As we saw, that's not what the scriptures teach. However, let us take heed. Let us learn those who believe in adult baptism, are, who are believe in adult baptism only, are afraid that we separate baptism from faith. That we think baptism is possible without faith. And in that regard, they are right. Without faith, baptism is not a baptism. Let me explain. For we have to be on our guard. Let us make sure that bar baptism does not become a part of many rituals concerning the birth of a child. When a child is born, we make our announcements to our relatives and friends. Perhaps we send them a card and we receive visits in the hospital or at home. And we make a beautiful white dress in preparation for the baptism. And to the baptism itself, we invite many friends and relatives. And then we have the baptism. And afterwards, we have a good time together. And that's fine, as long as we are careful that baptism in this way does not become part of a series of rituals. That they are all put together on the same level. That, for example, if there are certain elements of the ritual missing, such as friends or relatives or some other part of the rituals, that then we postpone baptism. For we think that otherwise the ritual is not complete. Do you see the danger, brothers and sisters? In this way, baptism is only a part of the many customs and rituals surrounding the birth of a child. And then the baptism is not a central event. Then we put the making of God's promises on the same level as the other activities. That's one danger. Many Christian churches who still practice infant baptism, but who have totally watered down the doctrines of the Bible, where there's no longer any discipline, they will baptize the children of parents who hardly ever come to church. They come to church only when there's a baptism, or when there's a wedding, or when there's a funeral. With those churches, faith is no longer part of the picture. Faith is 
necessary. To them, faith is not necessary. What is necessary that you belong to that particular church. To them, that is the only criterion. Brothers and sisters, baptism cannot be performed when there is no faith. There has to be faith, first of all, on the part of the parents. They have to bring up their children in the full conviction that they have God's promises proclaimed to them. Believing parents must remind their children at every opportunity that they are children of God. They speak to their children about how God deals with His covenant people and how they are to conduct themselves in that knowledge. And they also work that out in their own lives. They are faithful in their church attendance. They are faithful in the communion of saints. They are an example of godly living to their children. If you take faith out of the picture, then you make a mockery of baptism. Then you make a mockery of the promises of God. Parents must want their children to work out God's promises in their own lives. For the children also have to come to faith. They have to grow in their faith. You have to realize what a wonderful privilege it is to be a child of God. The children have to learn to show in their lives that they also realize that. Boys and girls, teenagers, are you listening? Do you realize that? Baptism is not given to you so that you can become a lazy Christian. In the end, you won't be a Christian at all anymore. On the contrary, baptism is given to you so that you may be excited about who you are. Those who baptize on the basis of faith only are excited about belonging to God. They are excited that they have made that choice. They are excited about making their lives dedicated to God. But you of all people should be even more excited For you know that your relationship with God does not depend in the first place on something you do. If that were the case, you would be doubting your salvation. For then you would keep on wondering whether or not whatever you do is good enough with regard to the Lord. We should not be excited about the answer we give, but about the promises that God makes. God works in the generations. And for that reason, he has also greatly blessed us as church community. We see many generations here in the pews. Great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and teachers and children and little children. And they are here because they realize that God has chosen them. That God takes care of them. And that they must show their thanks to him. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, show your thanks. Be faithful. Believe God's promises and work them out in your own life. But also take baptism seriously. It is a command. Circumcision looks forward to Christ. It looks forward to the shedding of his blood. Baptism looks backward to what Christ has done. And in Colossians 2, verse 11, 
Paul calls baptism the circumcision of Christ. The Lord God gave a very strong warning to Abraham that his children must be circumcised as infants. If he does not listen to the Lord that God in that to the Lord his God in that regard, it says in verse 14 that then he has broken God's covenant. Should infants be baptized? The answer is an unequivocal yes. But such baptism may not be done without faith. For God is the God of believers and their seed. It is through the instrument of faith that we are saved. Believe, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Believe that the Lord God has made wonderful promises to you. And live out those those promises today and in the days to come. To the end of your days. And then the Lord God will also realize those promises in your life. Amen.